Sunday, Marie. Happy Sunday, Diane. How are you today? I'm wonderful. How are you doing? I am doing great today. Good. Have a great week. I did have a great week, I think. <laughs> every, every day is just a different day, you know. <laughs> It all runs together, huh? It all runs together, yeah. So how about you? Good, just good. I um been working on a few things. I um a few months ago, I think before the pandemic, I had always thought about moving to Africa for and so I said I wanted to move to Ghana because they speak English. And so then all of a sudden, um the other day I met with this young man months ago. We worked on some projects. He emailed me some stuff. And said, Diane, I'm in Ghana. I said, yeah, I know. And so then he emailed me a few days ago. I said, Diane, I need you to help me with proposals for some work in Ghana. So I was talking to them via one of the app, WhatsApp app or something. And so I was telling them, oh, you know, I always wanted to come to Ghana for a year. They didn't say anything. So I said, if y'all need my help over there in person, let me know. It's one of my uh, bucket list things. I would like to live abroad for one year just to see what it feels like not to live in the U.S. Um, oh, that, that sounds exciting. We can we can still do our podcast. I think this will go all the way to Ghana. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just probably, it's probably a different time zone. I probably have to stay up late. Because yes. one of the people that I talked to, he was telling me, uh, you know, they called me in the morning. Um, uh, they, always, they always ask me if it's a good time to call me, but because I don't have a schedule, um, uh, you know, I tell them, you know, just let me know. I'll just get up if I'm. La- I can lay down and talk. So, what's the <laughs> difference in the time zone? What time is it there now? Do you know? I don't know. I think it's like eight or something. I'm not sure. I think it's about eight to ten, about seven diff- hours difference, five to seven hours difference. Hello. So, uh, hey, Adrian, how you doing? I'm doing great. How are you? Wonderful, Adrian. This is my cousin. Maria Richardson. Uh, this is Adrian Flex. Maria. Uh, Adrian is uh, our guest today. Um, Adrian is one of our one of my church uh, church cousins. Okay. <laughs> oh, hi, Adrian. It's nice to meet you. <laughs> Hello, uh, Maria. Is is it Marie? Marie. Nice oh, to meet you. Either Marie or Maria. It's either one's fine. Well, how do you pronounce it? That's a long story. (laughs) (laughs) That's That's a different episode. (laughs) Episode one. So, or Maria's five. Okay. Well, thank you for inviting me. It's good to be here. You're welcome. You're welcome. So, Adrian, first of all, tell us about yourself and, um, and, Tell us about uh, how you chose to be a life coach. Oh, wow. So about myself, um, that's, and I'm stuttering because Diane knows me from so many different places that I'm like, which, which story do I tell? Um, I, you know, so I'm just somebody who's just always been fascinated with people and what makes them, um, what makes them grow, what makes them change. Um, I am, grew up in a huge family, huge community. Um, I am a 
first generation child from Columbia, Maryland. So I grew up in that social experiment of diversity and racial and economic diversity. And I just, you know, have always been fascinated about the growth cycle of human, of, of people. Um, and so I've studied that throughout my entire life. Um, and I decided to be, <laughs> I decided to become a coach um, moving out of uh, psychology. Initially, uh, I got my undergraduate degree in psychology and I studied behavior modification and cognitive development specifically within children. Um, and because I was studying at a research university, I um, was a part of a couple of um, projects. Um, and one specifically that really was the straw that broke the camel's back. Um, I was doing uh, developmental assessments on children in a nursery who were living with their parents at a residential drug treatment facility. And I found myself getting attached to the children and watching them grow and develop. My job was to play with them and, you know, fill out this, you know, assessment on them. And as I'm watching them grow and develop, I'm realizing that their parents were not participating in this because they were focused on their own treatment. Um, and as I began discussing this with uh, the psychologist that was head of the project, um, I became aware of how the psychological community was very interested in studying the problem to great, gather, you know, extract data and write papers and be recognized without necessarily bringing solutions to the people that they were extracting data from. Um, and that was a little too much for me to bear um, because my whole thing, and I get, you know, the research, but I'm like, these people are hurting. We know how to help them. But we, you know, the funders have given us money to be here and we are not allowed to help them because we're still doing research. Um, so I left that and uh, got into growth and development of humans. And, you know, I left the whole psychology world and went into training and development, um, workplace training and development and just continue to encounter the same issues. You know, people who are empowered or not empowered, um, people who have a leg up or don't have a leg up, you know, what are the systems that surround um, someone's experiences in life and how do we begin giving them the insights and the tools that they need to thrive? You know, I'm laughing because you... you you think you know people, but I, I, did, I didn't know that part about you. <laughs> <laughs> Which part? <laughs> the part about you working with children and um, doing research and, you know, but wow. Okay. So, Marie, do you have a question? Uh, I was just going to make a point that the, the thing I found so interesting what she said um, is that, Adrian, we started out this podcast and, and the, the title of it is Cousins Dropping Knowledge. And what it has sort of morphed into is, yes, we're talking about what we know, but at the end of the day, it's become 
what are the solutions that we need to really focus on? Not what we know, but how do we take what we know and solve some of the problems? So as you were talking about, you know, your life experience, I found that was so interesting that that was the thing that changed you and moved you in another direction was at the end of the day, you had all the knowledge, you were checking all the boxes, but the heart of the matter wasn't being addressed. So I find that. Yeah, it was, it was incredibly frustrating. And I could, you know, I remember sitting outside the, the facility, sitting in my car, just trying to get up the motivation to go back in there because in my perspective, we weren't helping them. Mm-hmm. And the, the, when I questioned it, you know, why can't we do what we know we need to do? And the focus, the priority was on because the data needs to be, you know, extracted for a paper that, you know, this group of, of experts will be, will be congratulated for. And some solutions may possibly come down the road. And I've always been frustrated in interventions, whether they're in work or in educational settings, you know, help the people who are there now, um, particularly if you know what to do. And I know that's this terrible um, research protocol, um, but how long do we have to study the problem before we know how to fix it? Wow. Um... Your, your, uh, their site is called Soul Power Coach. Why did you call it Soul? So I, I, I called myself the Soul Power Coach because I was specifically looking for an empowering process to share. I needed something to help my own life. Um, but I was very clear because I had studied psychology, behavior modification, you know, cognitive development, that this needed to be something like if we truly say that you are supposed to be living on purpose, what sense does it make for me to tell you that you are this incredible, magnificent, wonderful being, but you're going to need to see me every two to three weeks for the rest of your life in order to be able to live on purpose? Like what I'm doing is helping you tap into unlearning and remembering what was there when you arrived here so that you can begin trusting that wisdom because that wisdom that comes from, you know, that divine wisdom that comes from within your own soul is never wrong. And it's always there. The question is, are we listening to it? And so the work that I do with people is to begin helping them to tap back into that messaging so they know what it looks like, what it feels like, what it smells like, what it sounds like when they are standing in their soul power. Because once I reintroduce you to what that looks like, I don't have to be in the room. You don't even have to come see me again for you to be able to continue to do this for the rest of your life. I used to say it's like teaching somebody how to ride a bike. Um, you know, once I teach you how to ride a bike, it's your decision whether or not you are actually riding that bike. But 20 years from now, you might be a little wobbly, but you'll know how to get it done. So tell us about some of the techniques that you use. 
with coaching? With coaching and tapping into, you said tapping into the unlearning and remembering, you know, the wisdom that someone had when they first came here. I mean, do you right. use like breathing techniques and that type of thing? Right. So it's, it's cognitive based mindfulness techniques. And so one of the first things I do when someone comes to work with me is I take them through what I call their unique life purpose process. And at the end of that process, you come out being able to say, my life purpose is to. And however you complete that sentence, and it's a sentence, not a paragraph, you know, not a mission statement, but it's a sentence. And the way that you complete that sentence is a description of who you are when you're standing in your purpose. And we take that and we apply it to 12 different areas of your life. So your whole complete self. It's not just who you are when you are at work or who you are when you are in a relationship or who you are as a parent. It is who you are as a person. What is this thread that, again, consistently runs through the, from the beginning to the end of your life? It's the full life cycle. And, and, and what does it look like for you? What does it feel like for you to show up purposefully? Um, and that is not just being, you know, what does it feel like? How are you experiencing this? But it's what are you doing with that? So what drives you? Um, what are you doing with that energy? And how is it impacting the world? And so the other techniques I look primarily at is, you know, what's bringing you clarity, decisiveness, and joy? Um, what's the difference between what you said you wanted to do and what you're actually doing, how you say you want to feel and what you're actually feeling as we begin to examine that gap, what are you learning? What insights are coming from within you about how to stand in your soul power? And how are you applying those learnings into being more consistently who you are when you're standing in your soul power? And that's the foundation of the program. Um, and so part of the reason why I love working individually with people is it's kind of like <laughs> the idea of going to a group going with a group to a doctor, you might get some general advice, but your elbow hurts for a different reason than mine does. Or maybe there's a different level of, you know, nutrient deficiency that is impacting me. And, and, a, and so working with someone individually, you get to, to not only tap into their brilliance and move at their pace, but you zone in on exactly what it is that's, that they need to hear, that they need to see, that they need to do and feel. Um, to begin remembering how to show up in their soul power. How has COVID impacted your one-on-ones? Are you are you able to ha you know, still do this um, via the web in this with the same level of um, I guess effectiveness? Mm -hmm. Well, that's the interesting thing. I've been virtual since uh, 2010. Okay. And so my clients are primarily in North America, so across the United States and Canada. And I was already on Zoom. You know, I used to, I was on Skype. I remember Google Hangouts, you know. <laughs> so I, you know, I, I used to say, if I could figure out how to monetize teaching people how to get on the web, then I'd have a whole different stream of income because part of the work that I was doing was teaching people how to use Skype, teaching people how to use Zoom. Um, and so I was loving Zoom 
even before March. <laughs> and so the rest of the world suddenly was, you know, living the way that I live. I used to, you know, I tell people sometimes I sit in a closet and talk to a computer screen all day long. Um, but it was really, I love that work. And so part of the biggest challenge in COVID is my day-to-day mechanics of how I do my job didn't change. In fact, everybody was ramping up doing their work the way that I've been doing my work anyway. But what was happening outside my window was different. And when I turned off the computer, I couldn't then get up and go, you know, dancing or go see a friend or, you know, go do the different things that I wanted to do. Um, And that was having an impact on me. And so what I always tell my clients and my students, because in addition to being a coach, I'm also a coach trainer, um, that I'm always my best client. I have to be my best client. So it's, you know, I was depending on these tools to help me stay grounded in the changes and the very frightening things that were happening around us. Um, And I can remember very clearly in March checking in with my clients to say, okay, I know I said this was good and I know it's working for me. How is it working for you? And time after time, you know, former clients, current clients, and even prospective clients that had just started working with me were saying, I'm so glad I started working with you before all of this happened. I don't know what I would do. I don't know where I would be if I had not had this presence of mind Mm -hmm. to move through this. Um, And so it kind of, you know, I I took a step back because standing in integrity, selling somebody something that's not going to work for them in this moment was not what I wanted to do. And when I took a step back and started asking people and checking in with them, what I heard was, this is really what we needed in this moment to, to be able to ground ourselves because, you know, it's decisiveness in the moment. Are you standing in your power in this moment? Are you making a purposeful decision in this moment? Um, And all of that uncertainty that was coming at us, you know, like a fire hose, Um, you know, I said it's, I call it uh, deep roots and bubble wrap, you know, not only are we grounded deep into the, into the ground, but we have this, this protective layer of bubble wrap around us. So, you know, COVID was still hitting, you know, people around me were still dying, you know, I was still concerned about my own health, but it wasn't impacting me to the extent it would have been had I not been using these tools. That is fabulous that you've created something that is so effective that it could stand the test of this time. That's remarkable. Well, yes. And I, and I will, and I, my only clarification there is um, I am a part of a global coaching community that is certified in using these tools. So the basis of my program is a, it's called the Success Unlimited Network. And we are all over the world. Um, and, you know, I was trained by, you know, the, the creator of that program. Her name is Terry Belf. And, and she trained me back in 2008 to use this system. And part of the reason why this framework, this decision-making framework worked for me was because I had the background in, psychology and behavior modification and, you know, cognitive development, just, just be able to see the power of these tools. And so, you know, I, it, I can, I, I used to say, I'm trying to remember how I found Terry and I don't really remember, but to me it was divine. 
Um, and so our framework is coaching, um, but there is definitely a spiritual aspect to it. So, you know, the term that you're hearing these days is positive psychology, or if you go to a therapist, you hear, you know, mindfulness coaching techniques. Um, these are these are similar tools to what Success Unlimited Network taught me how to use back in 2008, but we allow the client to bring their spiritual practice into the work that we're doing. So you truly are embracing your full self. So I have worked with people who share my faith. I have worked with people who have different faiths and I have worked with people who consider themselves agnostic or um, atheist because it's whatever your spiritual practice is. Okay. Diane, what questions do you have? Um, one of the things that you have on your site and you also talk about is unspeakable joy. And with this uh, crisis and this pandemic that we're in, uh, first of all, how do you keep your unspeakable joy and how do kind of, um, I can't say train or pull out or help folks that you're working with um, keep there or discover the joy. So the the only way I've been able to continue doing this for other people is that I was doing it for myself. You know, again using using these tools in my own life. And what I'll say is collectively we all are, you know, I I have been saying for at least the last 10 years that we're facing a mental health crisis. Um, And people are finally beginning to talk about it as a mental health crisis. And one of the things that concerns me is as we begin looking towards what is hopefully the end of COVID in the next year or two, you know, when you go through a trauma, when you experience something prolonged, it's not just surviving that trauma. It's the after. It's that moment where you, you know, have the audacity to exhale where things really start flooding you, you know, it, it's, and you see that all the time. And so what I have tried to do is be very mindful. Um, one of the tools that I have actually created within uh, the work that I do with my clients with soul power is called the curated list of unspeakable joy. Um, and what we do is we zone in on what brings you joy and not, and, and it's not just what, you know, what's a nice thing to do, what brings you unspeakable joy, that level of, you know, filling up welling with tears when you're so happy, it's just a tremendous, overwhelming sense of, I can't take any more joy than this type of joy. You know, that's my target. Um, because that's often not something that we allow ourselves to deserve on a regular basis. And I contend that we are here to experience joy. We are here to experience it in its fullness. And why wouldn't we experience it every day? And even if we don't experience it every day, you know, again, that bubble wrap of joy, when things hit us, they're not going to knock us back as far as they would have had we not been working in the discipline of allowing joy into our lives. And so that's what I've been focusing on. Um, one of the things that I've done specifically is to just slow down. You know, it, I, 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 
I probably should get a t-shirt that says, you know, I don't know if you've looked outside, but there's a whole pandemic going on out there. Um, you know, I keep running into, and, and primarily Black women that just keep trying to make it happen because that's who we are. That's what we do. You know, Black people will make a way out of no way. And we're in this environment that has been toxic for generations but we're in this environment that now has become unsustainable and we're still trying to, we shall overcome our way through it and twice as good our way through it. And that's deadly. Um, and so, you know, I'm having conversations with people about the way that they're responding in their own life and the expectations that others have to, for us and the expectations we set on ourselves. Um, and, and I, I'm actually, I'm excited about this moment because there's a possibility that we are now beginning to interrogate the way that we live collectively. You know, why were we rushing? Why were we, you know, some people were commuting over two hours a day to get to a work, a job they couldn't stand that wasn't paying them enough money to live so they could, you know, spend some time with their children. It's just like, why have we allowed this to be acceptable? And so I'm hoping that we are coming out of this. Not only do I see, you know, the, the black faces in white spaces who just don't have the energy for that mask anymore mm -hmm. and are beginning to speak up in ways that were just deemed by us as unprofessional. You know, we, we, we swallowed a lot in corporate settings. We swallowed a lot in nonprofit work. Um, and there are people who are in these spaces trying to do good work on behalf of our communities who are taking shots, who are taking, you know, arrows as they do this work. And some of that they're beginning to push back on in, in ways that can be surprising to people that didn't realize that living life in America as a black person was, you know, as James Baldwin says, to be in a perpetual state of rage. Like there's so much injustice that we have just swallowed um, that it's, it's really interesting to see people beginning to say, I deserve better than this. And I am no longer apologetic about protecting my dignity and humanity in this space. Um, I was thinking about, I just listened to a podcast, um, before I listened to, got on our podcast and, um, I forgot the gentleman's name, but he was talking about the second, the second mountain, I think. And he was talking about, um, basically what you just said, kind of, kind of prophetic that we are headed towards a mental health crisis. I think we are already in it. I think that COVID pushed us in. I forgot how many people have committed suicide, including physicians, how many people are in depression and very high anxiety because of this COVID uh, pushed us even further into it. And so, um, but as a trauma survivor, that trauma and suffering, you can, also, you can learn from trauma and suffering. So I don't know what's on the other side of mental or psychologically or spiritually what we're going through, 
in this trauma, in this crisis, in this pandemic. And a couple of weeks ago, we had a pandemonium. But I think that sometimes you have to uncover a wound for it to start healing. And I think that the last uh, four years in this country was a major infection that was covered up with nice and kind and political correctness and, you know, let me just go along to get along. And now we, now that the wound has been uh, exposed, I think that, I think we're trying to jump to healing, but I think you taught me the last time we talked that we can't jump to healing. It has to be something once the wound is exposed. So what do you think one of our next steps could be as a collective, a community that hopefully one day will be a collective community of human beings in this uh, life experience? Yeah, that that is... Um... That's, I guess it's a podcast. Let me get on my soapbox, right? You're so on point. Like this, this mental health crisis, I've been watching the, the, the in every industry, there, there are factors that, that, that impact the way that you do your job. You know, how people are showing up, why they're showing up, you know, what you're selling them, all of that. And I've been watching this mental health crisis. You know, I've been watching people um, beginning to embrace the fact that they need therapy. And I've been watching people beginning to embrace the fact that there's injustice in the country, but we're not really asking the critical questions. And we are still silencing that voice within us that is never wrong, that is telling us this isn't okay. And there's so, you know, I, I get I, I get irritated when there's some gas stations I will not go, I don't care how cheap your gas is, I'm not going to pump your gas because if you are bombarding me with a television screen and advertising just so I can pump my gas, I don't need to support you. Like that toxic, it's like living in a smoke filled room and everything around us has encouraged us to stop questioning. And so one of the things I love to do is to get people to start considering things that they haven't considered before about their ordinary world, their ordinary life, what they allow, what they, what their limiting beliefs look like. Um, you know, their thoughts, you know, their feelings, their habits, and how all of these things are producing their life. The challenge with this is I could give you, you know, the best meditation exercise and the deepest breathing treatment. And, you know, you could be a master yoga certified trainer. You know, I could do all of this and you're still living in a world as a black person where you have the pandemic of being black the pandemic of, you know, economic disparities, which are attached to being black, the, you know, the pandemic of this, this, this um, disease that is just ravaging our country. And we're coping with this by becoming desensitized to it because it's impossible. This is a tsunami of just pain and hurt and death and loss. And part of the way people 
um, cope is to check out. And we've been checking out for generations. And it's time for us to begin recognizing that we're strong enough to deal with this, but we've got to start asking the right questions to see the perspective the way that it is, you know, that divine perspective, and then begin taking the action that that voice is leading us to take. Um, and collectively, it, it means that we have to be more involved in community building. You know, I have to get myself right because the people around me depend on me and I depend on them. So we are just this collective, you know, and, and it's, it's not, it's not foreign to us as African people to think about a tribal mind, the benefits of being a part of a tribe. Um, and so our tribe is ourself, our tribe is our family, our tribe is our neighborhood, our tribe is our community, our tribe is our state, our tribe is our country. And as we begin taking ownership of that, there are certain things that are going to have to change. You take ownership of it, then there are certain decisions that you need to be involved in. Um, and so, you know, people talk about getting out the vote. You know, they all, you know, there's every, <laughs> it seems like every organization in the world was getting out the vote. And I had said that the vote, the entire election cycle is won or lost <laughs> in the decisions that the check writers and major donors make about who's being supported and who's not, who's going to run, who they want on the ticket and who they don't. And so what we end up is like a toddler, you know, you're like, do you want peanut butter and jelly or do you want a ham sandwich? And I'm like, actually, I want soup. You know, I'm like, you're giving me these false choices and presenting them as empowerment for me to pick one or the other when the reality of the situation is what I really need is the stew on the stove that you're eating for yourself and you're not sharing with me. Um, and so, you know, it, it's, it's incumbent upon us to really begin looking at this, this, you know, um, this nation, this world as ours. Um, so, We've got to begin dismantling this structural white supremacy. We've, we've got to, I always think about what life would look like if there truly was equal justice under the law. Um, and if citizens, if constituents, if voters, if Americans, if people living in this country truly understood their power in bringing justice to this land, then we could clean all of this up in short order. But people don't teach you what the system looks like. People don't teach you how to navigate. So you don't even know how to pot get a pothole filled outside your street, let alone how to get people elected to office that are going to represent your best needs. And so there's a process that we're, you know, you see these uh, movement for Black Lives Matter organizers and activists giving us these tools to cobble together the education that the government should have been giving us. You know, we've never in this country have the citizens ever been truly educated on what their power was in this country. And so 
in a lot of ways, I'm like a life coach that has stopped talking about life coaching. I'm talking about justice and equity and, 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 and liberation because it doesn't do me any good to talk to you, to show you how to live on your purpose if I'm sending you back into, a, you know, what Dr. King called that burning building. Like, let's put the fire out. Let, let's build a house that, that you can be comfortable in because you will naturally gravitate to what's purposeful because that's who you are. So are, are a lot of the people that you're talking with, are they talking about primarily their jobs and, and lining up their purpose with the work that they do? I mean, is, is that how you're tying that back into, um, you know, don't go back into the burning building. And is that how you're tying that back into that conversation with them? Yeah, a, a lot of times I'm dealing with people who are the uh, most of this year I've been dealing with, you know, people come to me for career changes. You know, I said, don't quit your job before you come talk to me. You know, don't put in your two weeks notice, you know, before you come talk to me. Um, but then there are also people who are looking at relationships. So I, you know, the 12 life areas, there are people who are just the ones you really don't hear about are the ones that are saddest, you know, who should have that life that everybody is striving for and they're just not satisfied. And then it's like, I should be happy, but you know, and I worked hard for all of this, but it's just not, it's just not doing what I needed to do. Um, so yeah, career, you know, trouble with relationships, um, with their health, um, some uh, aspiration that they want to go with something that they want to achieve. Um, and, and that's why we have a whole conversation to customize what it is that you wanted out of looking at all 12 of Lucas life areas. Um, but there are largely people who are dealing with being awakened to the structural racism within their own lives and not necessarily knowing productive ways to deal with it um, or having the courage to really do what it is that you're being called to do in that environment. Um, you know, it, it's not, it, it takes courage to stand up and be the one person, that dissenting voice, that one that's speaking truth to power, that one that's saying, I know you've been treating us this way and I'm going to be the one to stand up here by myself and say that that's not okay anymore. Um, and, you know, where does that courage come from? Where does the, the, the presence of mind come from to know what it is that you want and to be able to step into that moment and make that decision to be true and, and to step out on faith in many ways, because you, you know, you don't know what that's going to, you know, you don't know what the fallout is going to be of that. Um, so I'm excited that, you know, there are a lot of people that come to me because, you know, they're, they are in a situation with their supervisor or they are starting a company and they're dealing with employees. So a lot of it is relationship-based. Um, and I always bring it back to the whole person because you are more than who you are when you are at work. Um, and, you know, it's, it's, it's so interesting. People have gotten a crash course in that, trying to navigate not missing a beat at work while they move their job into their living room table, while their children are across from them trying to learn on a computer, while the dog needs to be walked and dinner needs to be made. Um, 
you know, how are people juggling that work-life balance when it's all happening in the same room? Um, and what are the tools and techniques that they need to make that happen? What does success look like after someone has, has gone through your, the program with you? What does success look like? Success looks like they have clarity, decisiveness, and unspeakable joy. And they know they have, you know, we set up a, a structure, a system, you know, a roadmap for them to be, continue showing up in their soul power more consistently. Um, uh, and so it's, it's really a matter of what success looks like to that person. You know, it's like there's a good suit and then there's a bespoke custom made <laughs> sewn to you suit. Um, and so I'm getting people clear on exactly what their measurements look like when they talk about success in their life. Um, and a lot of times that's just kind of power washing away what they have been told or they have been conditioned to believe about what they should want for success and getting them in the habit of recognizing very quickly when they're beginning to drift away from that message. Um, Adrian, um, one of the things I thought about, well, I was thinking about, I was thinking about how we kind of reconnected and kind of thinking about this whole podcast, uh, interview with you, the way we kind of reconnected, I lost my coat at church at chapel one Sunday, it was our famous Sunday at, at Rankin Chapel, it was Jeremiah Wright Sunday, and we were all going to brunch. We had been doing it for years, like 15, 12, 15 years. And I lost my coat in, you know, January is when we have Jeremiah Wright Sunday. So I went back into the church to find my, the chapel to find my coat, and I couldn't find it. Mm -hmm. But somebody else found it for me and gave it to me because they had a couple people looking for me. When I walked out, the party that I was going with, some of them had already gone, and I ran into you for some reason. I hadn't seen you in years, and you were there. And you said, oh, I read about your book. I heard about your book I, on Facebook. So I was going to come to your book signing. So I think I reached into my pocketbook and gave you my book. And so maybe 10 hours, six or eight or 10 hours later, you kept texting me about my book. And I was like, okay, so let me just pick up the phone and call this woman. I haven't, you know, um, talked to you in years, just saw you, uh, I knew your mom better, basically, and your older sisters. And so we talked, and that's how we reconnected. But the whole thing that uh, kind of serendipitous moment that my book, basically, I wrote the book after my tragic trauma of being a head-on car crash. But the theme of my book to me is healing, a suffering or trauma, healing, and wholeness. And I think when you talk about success, and we're not taught this in this country. Um, we are just taught all this road stuff and all this, I think the word Donald Trump used of hoax, <laughs> all this hoax type of stuff we're taught or indoctrination. But we're not talked about, we're not taught, probably even not in our homes that much, uh, not just in schools or in our community, about connections and connectivity and wholeness. And I think that uh, one of the paradigm shifts, shifts for our 
for our spiritual lives, for our uh, community lives, for our family lives, is to talk about connectivity and wholeness. And so, what do you think? What do you think about that? First of all, I will always be grateful to the Reverend Dr. Jeremiah A. Wright for not just what he sowed into my life, but you know. That, that was a moment. I, I can still remember we were in the car and pulled up next to you and you literally popped the trunk and was like, here's my book. <laughs> and I went home and couldn't put it down. And I remember texting, I was like, it's just, it, it blew my mind because nobody ever wants to go through something like that. You know, if I told you the key to success was for you to go through some of that tragedy, just be like, you know, mediocre looks good to me. I'm just going to lay here and chill out. Um, the reality of the situation is, you know, I, I always talk about the good and the bad that's happening simultaneously. And there was good in what happened to you. And the message that I would love or particularly the descendants of African-Americans who were formerly enslaved to understand is there is tragedy in our story. And yet there's also, they talk to us about the tragedy. They don't talk to us about the strength. They don't talk to us about the divine inspiration and the divine protection and the, the, the community of people who showed up to help you heal to support you in that. They don't talk to us about how we got over. They just say, you know, we were, we, we were slaves and then, you know, we were living in the ghetto and now we just can't seem to get our lives together. And there's so much violence in the stories that are being told to us, the lies, the myths, and there's so much strength in the truth. And so when I look at your book and I think about healing and I think about community, um, it's, it's part of the work that I started doing. You know, again, you talk about who you are as a person. You know, one of my um, icons is Ella Baker. And she also used to always, you know, when she met someone new, she would say, who are your people? because you are defined by the people that you come from. You are defined by your community. And so, you know, Ella, and I also say Ella Baker was born in Norfolk, Virginia. And one of the things I would love to see is the state, the Commonwealth of Virginia, to truly honor what I think is the greatest American possibly that we have ever produced, being in Ella Baker, because she gave us a blueprint um, for clarity, decisiveness, and joy. You know, she gave us a blueprint for this collective liberation. Um, and that blueprint, whether they give her credit for it or not, that blueprint is being used globally. Um, and so one of the things that I started looking at is if you, you know, the, we look at who you are as a person and the whole self-development, you know, corporate training and development world that dominates our personal growth talks about who you are as a person according to your occupation, your level of success, your achievements. And what I'm more interested in looking at is who you are as a person based on, like she said, who are your people? Who do you come from? 
and what communities, you know, Diane and I knew each other and you know what, I, I don't, I'm not quite sure. Everybody at Martin Luther King Jr. seemed to be older than me because I was one of the youngest people in the community. And it's hard now thinking about, you know, somebody who may have been in high school seemed like an adult to me, but they were still in high school. Um, so it's, it's interesting to me as I'm reconnecting with the people from the church as an adult and everybody, you know, the, when we had the reunion, I walked in and everybody's like, it's the baby. <laughs> like, yeah. Okay. You know, um, but it's, but that community defined me, you know, when I look at what that community did to shape who I am, even if I didn't know it was happening in that moment, who I am as a person was developed through that community. Who I am as a person was developed through my bloodline, my family. You know, what does it mean that my parents moved me to this social experiment? Where did they come from that they would even want to do that? Um, and so in addition to personal growth and development, you know, I, 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 I talk about, you know, the, the families. We talk about our organizational family and our work family. And, you know, um, we if you're in a fraternal organization, you, you know, call them, you know, sorors and, and frat brothers. But I want particularly, you know, I've, I have a heart to work with everyone, but I also am particularly talking to the descendants of Africans who were formerly enslaved because we've been connect, disconnected from who we are. And we've been, we've allowed even the best Black History Month programs to tell us who we are instead of understanding who we are for ourselves. And so I've started encouraging people to explore their history and their, their family history and their genealogy, not necessarily running out to go get a DNA test. Um, I, I created a challenge I call my great 16s challenge based on my own family research where I discovered a great-great-grandfather and a great-great-grandmother, they were right there in, you know, hidden in plain sight. I didn't know where to look to find them. And when I looked, they were right there. And so, you know, I'm a part of a family reunion where the brothers of my great-great-grandparents are honored and we are organized by, you know, I'm, I'm, you're George, you're John, you know, you're Robert Thomas. And I said, who are the parents? Nobody could answer that question. So when I went and find found those parents, now we are not four tribes, we are all with a common ancestor. And what I was able to find out about that common ancestor not only changed my life and how I see myself, it began doing the same thing for my family. So, um, I have been encouraging us, you know, as, as African people, I've been encouraging us as Americans to go answer the question, you know, can you name all 16 of your great, great grandparents? And, you know, ask the questions, do the research, have the conversations to be able to do that. Because some of us have maps that go back to the 1400s with, you know, family crests and, you know, detailed genealogies. 
And some of us couldn't tell us, you know, who our grandparents were. I saw a statistic that said 21% of Americans can't name all of their grandparents. Um, that blew me away. I was like, that can't possibly be true. And yet, you know, if, if you were adopted, if you were uh, estranged, you know, it, it doesn't take long. It takes about one generation for you to lose those connections. And you look at what we've been through in um, migration patterns and, and separation patterns and the prison industrial complex and all these things that have been institutional forces to pull us apart, we have forgotten who we are. Um, and so I, I started the 16 Greats Challenge to encourage people to begin having those conversations because it's not only knitting the family that, you know, I'm jumping on a family Zoom later on tonight. It's not only knitting the families back together, but it is also getting me to examine the communities that we come from. You know, the, the Martin Luther King Church community was a closer knit community for me growing up than my mother or my father's family because they lived further away. And so these communities that shape your life, these families that shape your life all fed into who you were. And, and I just, you know, that's, so that's, that's my big thing, you know, getting people to explore that and, and introducing people to those tools and the resources and the organizations that are out there to do that because it's, it's also political education. Um, so I am getting to the point where I refuse to have a conversation with you about politics if you can't tell me who your great-great-grandparents were or your great-great-great-grandparents were and what impact the policies of the United States have had on their lives. You know. Marie, I guess I Adrian is, is the Adrian. great uh, 16 challenge. Is that on your website? Uh, so Yes, and you can just you can also go to sixteen one six greats.com and there's the TED talk there. And I was also interviewed by the National Museum of African American History and Culture back in November. Um, and I've linked to that interview as well. That was a wonderful program they did about the uh, Robert F. Smith family explore your family. Okay, history what was that website about. again? Sixteen. 16greats.com, 16greats.com. I don't have any additional questions, Adrian, but I'm so delighted that you were true to yourself. It sounds like you're helping a lot of people, you know, with real solutions. And, and I certainly learned a lot today listening to you. So I appreciate you coming on the podcast and dropping knowledge. Thank you. All right, Adrian. We uh, thank you. Um, uh, you had me uh, sitting here, not even know what to ask you because you say so much. But uh, thank you for dropping all that knowledge. That I, it felt like a weight, but not a heavy weight, but a a weight that I had to dissect. So, um, and I'm still dissecting some of the things that you said. But uh, if you want to, Adrian, because you are a, uh, you have a coaching business, if you want to give your information on this uh, podcast, you can, and um, so more people can come and actually get 
what you have to offer. Absolutely. Thank you. Yeah, I, I, I hope that's a good thing, digesting. I, I, I told you I was getting up on my soapbox. <laughs> um, yes, so I'm, I'm Adrian, the Soul Power Coach of soulpowercoach.com. Um, if you want to continue digesting and you would love to have a conversation, I always offer people a, a complimentary taste of soul power conversation. You can sign up on my website. Um, it'll ask you some questions about what you want to get out of it and when you uh, are available to do that. Um, and we can talk about specifically how all this digestion relates specifically to your life. And I talk about not only your personal growth and development, the clarity, the decisiveness and unspeakable joy, but also the great 16s challenge and also your civic engagement. So I am doing the work to uh, bring racial justice to America. Well, thank you, Adrian. Thank you, Diane. And this concludes episode 16 of Cousins Dropping Knowledge. Thank you.